Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thanks for going down the rabbit hole. Welcome to another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. This is Raf on the mic today, and I have a fun guest for you. We're going to be talking a little bit about some of the challenges I think y'all have kind of faced uh, collectively out there, uh, things that are fairly common, uh, security on a budget, maybe a very, very tight budget. Uh, and with me to talk through that uh, fun piece of, uh, of experience in life, we've got Zach. Zach, how are you, buddy? Not too bad. How are you doing this morning? Good. Got my Nitro Cold Brew sitting next to me. Got <laughs> some caffeine. I'm ready to go. Hey, um, so why don't we tell the fine folks out there listening a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sounds good. I'm uh, the VP of technology at a company called Precognitive. We uh, sit in the fraud prevention space. We dip in information security a little bit here, but uh, mainly card not present fraud and account takeover. So we had uh, we had Sam on uh, a little yep. bit ago talking about uh, what Precog does, but um, it's good to have you on the show to, to give the, uh, the, the behind the curtain stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we want to talk a little bit about starting over on a budget, uh, mm-hmm. compliance, security, uh, where do you want to start? Give me the background for folks that are like, all right, what's this about? Where did, where did you, when you walked in, uh, what did, where did you start? Uh, what is your kind of role in this whole, in, in the company? Because uh, you don't have a security title. Um, I yeah. Noticed. And so <laughs> g- give, us, give us the background. So as the head of technology, security, IT, engineering, all rolled up into me. And, and as a startup, everyone knows it's many, many hats. Um, so security kind of fell into my lap. And when I'd walked in, there'd been an effort or a move towards an ISO 27001 certification. Um, but that was much more the cert and the compliance aspect than the actual security program itself. Um, it was also early stages, too. I think we had just signed our first client. Um, not even deployed when I uh, first joined the team. Um, so I was walking in basically greenfield, able to set up a security program from scratch, which is awesome because I get to choose everything and anything, but then it's a pain because I have to choose everything and anything. So um, also as a startup, there's a budget, and that budget's usually very tight and usually associated more towards how can we make more money versus add more security. Okay. So working around all of those things. I, I know people at bigger companies have the same problem because security is always seen as a cost center to a certain degree. Um, in the startup, that cost center is very much more apparent because every dollar is, everyone's counting every dollar like, oh, this is our burn this month, this is our burn this month. Um, so it, it was really interesting coming in and having to sit down and figure out how can I build a security program that will support an enterprise architecture but also be cost effective for a small business. Right, and then you guys are right at that, like you said, kind of the initial building stages yep. where yep. Every, you have to, uh, the bosses have to decide, do, <laughs> yeah. do, we, do we try to make money or do we try to be secure? I mean, literally, that's a question I think that gets asked in those yep. situations. Yep, definitely. That's 
I, I've heard, oh, breaches are a cost of doing business on the uh, internet. And I'm like, ah, y- yes, kind of. But I, I think more the security should be the cost of doing business to prevent said breaches. So, um, the same in the team here, though. They, they've been really, really supportive um, and given me a lot of free reign here to pick and, and, and move in the direction that I wanted from a security perspective, which has been really, really solid. And to a certain degree, I think it's really helped our entire team. We're very security uh, conscious. Um, not only cybersecurity, information security, uh, on the AppSec side, we're always doing things from a security perspective as far as we have a security code review, um, we have different processes in place to make sure that obviously having your, your walls up, firewall, et cetera, is important, but um, the, the, at least in my opinion, one of the biggest vulnerabilities, if not the biggest, is just that human aspect, aka we keep changing code, and as things keep changing, um, it's really easy for you to slip up and, oh, we we changed a configuration and left something exposed. Or the endpoint didn't have permissions because we were moving too fast and forgot to add a test, et cetera. So um, it's, it's not only the cybersec, the infosec part, but also the appsec part, which my, the team's really taken control to the point of we have a security time we set up every week for about three hours to, to review uh, what's been deployed this week. Um, just our current architectures or anything that we can improve upon. And that I, I missed the meeting once and the lead engineer came and was like, where were you? <laughs> Sorry. Um, so they, they, they've really taken ownership of the security side here. So it's been fun to see it go from zero to hero. So. Well, so I guess the question then is where did you, like you walked in day one, what did you do first? Where did you start after you figured out where your desk was? <laughs> um from a security side or just in general? In, in general, our, my first move was to containerize uh, all of our deployments. Okay. Um, so I instantly plugged this into Kubernetes and had some additional layers there that will help from a security perspective. Um, but uh, one of the big things that really helped is we were on Google Cloud Platform when I walked in. Um, at first, I was very upset coming from AWS, like, oh, I don't have all the tools I'm used to, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, but I, Google has really heavily invested on the security side. Um, they're doing, I, 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 again, I haven't been AWS in two years, three years, so it's kind of hard for me to tell if they've been moving along the same velocity, but uh, Google Cloud's added some features such as Security Command Center, um, which I, I would not call it a SIM, but similar to where you can pipe all of your security events um, or alerts uh, from the, the, the cloud platform itself or external sources, then uh, basically assess those findings and then mark them and or address them, et cetera. Um, which has been great because it's, it's as, as anyone knows, jumping on like an alien ball or Splunk or something is not always the most um, inexpensive choice. So we have a, a home-baked solution with a mix of that and then also using uh, PagerDuty for alerting. So it's been, been us being able to leverage the, the cloud-native approach has been really useful from us. And also just it's I have one thing to manage. I don't have to manage another tool. So um, the first thing I did is get that set up um, along with, again, the AppSec part I thought was really, really important. So um, Good. Yeah, so from the, from the container perspective, uh, you said you containerized everything. Yep. How 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 long did uh, was that simply an architecture change? It said, okay, thou shalt now use containers. <laughs> how did how did that work for you? Like, did you, get, did you get a mandate just show up in an architecture meeting one day and go, all right, folks, starting tomorrow, you know, Kubernetes go. Well, uh, uh, so even outside of security context, just being in containers provides a lot of benefits, such as um, we're all working in the same environment locally. 
um, we're able to uh, produce something that is immutable and then deploy that actual thing. Um, also, just the, the Kubernetes pro- product itself, Google is backing that product. Um, and GKE has always been, I think, ahead of the curve in the Kubernetes world, which gives a lot of tools, but also the ability to um, jump in, add network policies and different things outside of our firewalls. From the security perspective, that was awesome. Now, as far as the, the directive, it was more I wanted to work with containers and not deal with VMs and the Terraform Ansible playbooks and all of that fun stuff. Because um, it's a lot easier to build a container and then say, I want this thing to be deployed to Kubernetes. Yeah. Um, I want this thing to run on your machine locally. So in theory, even if you don't do this, but in theory you could build it on your machine and then take that and deploy that thing that was built on your machine to production. And it should work fine. Um, I like unlike, theory. Yeah, it's a theory. I, I wouldn't say do it, but um, unlike the old uh, virtual box, they always get the old, uh, but it works locally, That's <laughs> which is not the excuse I, I want to hear when deployment breaks. So um, that, that was my first initiative. Also, it just helped our velocity because we were doing a lot of manual deployments. Um, we were able to, to utilize CircleCI, um, some of the cloud deployment tools from Google, and then having it containerized made the to the point where we can deploy in a minute or two now. If we have something we can do to release, two, three minutes, it's deployed to production. Um, before, it was taking us a half hour or so to do so. So there's a lot of time wasted just not being able to deploy very quickly. Also, if we break something, we can move a lot faster too. So, All right, so where does security fit into that? Because one of the things that we, yep. it, it, we discuss in the security space is uh, worrying about uh, malicious containers uh, versus yep. uh, the, the kinds of things that you'd worry about one container attacking another. Uh, how do you how do you create the protective yep. sphere around these things? Because essentially it's just, it's it, you don't own the entire, infra- like even the virtual infrastructure there. Yeah, so uh, to, I'll, I'll take it a step up first. Let's talk about it from the container side. Um, so we do build our own golden images that we use. We, we're, we run on Node. Um, so those things, they don't update that often. So I, we're pretty sure and safe that oh, this is our our container that our base container that we're using across the entire system. Um, in addition, we use a service called uh, I'm going to mispronounce this. So I think it's Sneak S Y N K. Um, they scan your containers for vulnerabilities. In addition to that, Google actually has a built-in now. Okay. And that information is then fed into the actual security command center. So I'm notified there's a vulnerability in some kind of container or, or, or golden images, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> now, from a more of the, the GKE side, um, I, I think with security, it's, it's also just offsetting risk. If I was to deploy my own Kubernetes and manage the whole thing, could I possibly feel more comfortable that I'm more secure? Yes. <laughs> but handing that over to a, a company such as Google that uh, I trust um, from a security's perspective, the, to be frank, they're probably going to do a better job than I would, um, especially since, again, I'm the VP of technology, not the VP of security, information security, whatever. Um, I am jumping from thing to thing. Um, Google's also released a couple things here recently where you can do, um, which, I, again, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Kubernetes, um, but it's called no. private <laughs> They have private clusters. You can do shielded VMs, um, which adds extra protections to the actual VMs themselves that your nodes are running on. 
or that your uh, containers are running on. Okay. Um, you can actually, if you want to pay pay for it, we are not. You can actually buy your own quote unquote hardware. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, meaning you're basically renting a server from them. Now, of course, if you're renting a server from them, that means you're paying for the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, but that means that anything that's running is yours. Um, outside of Google, obviously. That's the paranoid option. Yeah, I, I would not recommend that unless you really want to. I forget what it is. It's you're 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 buying a pretty big machine to do so. Um, but yeah, it's like the security the security options that Google provides, especially for Kubernetes, are uh, again my experience in, in EKS was limited, but um, definitely much more advanced. And also, again, they're they're the ones that built it, so they're very aware and they're in the front lines from the security perspective. So. If there's a zero day, Google's going to patch it probably faster than anyone. Yeah, um, that's, that's Yeah, and that's actually one of the big things I recommend to people because I've been doing some advising. It's like don't manage your own nodes. Set up auto auto upgrade. Let Google handle that because if there's a patch that needs to happen, they will do it within the hour. Um, you're not going to get to it. Something's going to happen. You're going to forget, and the next thing you know, someone's scanning some IPs that you have exposed, and boom. Um, you're now a victim of whatever. All right. So for those that that are listening that that don't know quite how that what the thing you described works, th yep. th that sort of sounds like the you're running a a, a node uh, a container node for me and um, a manager master node right and you're yep. you're essentially trusting that Google will patch. Uh, how does that how does that uh, explain to the folks listening? Uh, how does yep. that do? What does that do to your to, to your uptime to your production systems? Like, how does that work? Yeah, so Kubernetes is meant to be self-healing, zero downtime, all those fun things. Um, so if they're upgrading their master, it should not impact your deployments. Um, I mean, they they I didn't even know they patched it till after they did <laughs> the one uh, 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 what was the vulnerability that they'd found. Um, I just had read my emails like an hour. They'd already deployed it and upgrade all of our nodes and I'm like, oh, cool. So, and none of our monitoring went off, obviously. So, I mean, huh. I'm sitting in the real world, they're, so what they'll do is, so we have like 50, 20 nodes running. They'll take down one node, drain all the containers from that node, update it, add it back to the cluster. Um, so it's zero downtime deployment, zero downtime patches, et cetera. That's pretty awesome. So yeah, it's, it's most companies can't get to that that level of uh, uptime on their own, especially. I mean, that, that's a that's a stark comparison between the IaaS world where uh, you're trying to do it yourself. Yeah, no, I, I was just saying that I uh, I've never had the pleasure of working completely on prem. Um, I I did Lucky have the whole, <laughs> um, I, I do remember working on the local. Data. Well, I guess I, I you call it on-prem, but the the local cloud provider type concept, or oh, I have these this data center, all my things are sitting, um, or I have a, a AWS VM set up where I'm managing my own Kubernetes. I've dealt with all of those, which are not fun. Um, and again, it's just the the more you manage, um, the more you have a chance to screw up. And if we're paying Google X dollars a year to make sure we're not screwing up. Um, that's actually offsetting at risk. I, I actually think a lot of companies, especially when they're smaller, if they're trying to do it all themselves, um, number one, from a business perspective, not that great. Also, from a security perspective, you're going to open yourself up to a lot of risk just because you don't have the time to focus full energy um, on security. So I, I always recommend to companies or 
I just say to my team and the executive team over and over again, is focus on your core competency. Um, so there are parts of the security we focus on that we take in-house. Majority of I try to offload to either cloud native through Google or just the vendors we're uh, adding over time. No, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think especially when you're smaller, uh, and, and to some extent as you grow as well, but when, when you're yeah. smaller, trying to do you know, 35 things yourself, and hell, look at the l- larger organizations, the uh, the big FinServe companies, look how many people they have, how many hundreds of people they have in security. Yep. These micro specialties, there's absolutely no chance if they struggle to get it right, that mm-hmm. you're the quote security guy or gal at your company is going to be yeah. able to do all of that on your own. And I know in security, we, have, we like for years, we've got this tendency to try to do it all ourselves. Like I'll build my yep. own scripts, I'll run my own blah, blah, yep. blah. And you're like, just don't. <laughs> it's, it's like no, back that- when, uh, so, uh, you know, in, in 01, 02, I was doing AppSec mm-hmm. uh, for uh, maybe a little bit later than that for uh, GE. Um, I was building out the AppSec program, and every developer at the time was like, oh, we can do crypto better. I'm like, no, you can't. Like, trust me, there's like seven people in the world qualified to create a crypto library. You are not one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> fact, yeah, I know. Nobody it's, here is. <laughs> yeah, it's – I was in that boat for a, a while to a certain degree. Not even from a security perspective. Like, I just want to build this myself. I want to understand it from the API itself all the way down to the internals. Um, after you, you've done it long enough, you've got burned a couple times. You're like, I just want to trust someone, make sure the thing works, feel secure, and keep moving. Um, and then the other, other thing too is, if you're trying to do it all yourself, you can't add in those additional layers because you're so focused on the layer you're working on at that time. Yeah. Um, so we've been able to actually move pretty aggressively. Where we have built some stuff internally, but the majority of it's been either cloud native um, or just looking for vendors that are servicing SMB startups. Um, it layering all those different protections from scanning containers to uh, scanning your configs on the uh, Google Cloud side to uh, adding in some automation on the AppSec side. Um, that actually, it, it, that's part of the, the big thing too I hear is security is always seen as a, a pain or a, a, a pain point for developers or product. And that's also one thing I've been trying to focus on too is the automation and making sure that um, if I try to develop myself, it would be painful. It'd be a bunch of checkboxes and me reviewing stuff, and then the, my automation script that I wrote would break. Versus using like a sneak or someone else to actually handle all of that themselves. Which it's it's yeah. I I, I do think the security landscape's been changing here pretty quickly. Um, which I always, from my perspective, uh, working in fraud prevention, um, we always say the bad guys are innovating as fast as we are because they have money on the line too. Um, so that, that's the, the good thing is the security industry, I think, is moving here pretty quickly um, with just the new companies that are popping up. And I think there is a deficit between enterprise and the, the I'd call them non-enterprise, the SMBs. But I do think companies are starting to sp- uh, pop up and help those smaller companies. And we, we fit into that uh, realm, so I was able to work with a couple of vendors to help shore up our program. So That's pretty cool. That's uh, um Knowing, I think knowing that difference, knowing the balance of what you can responsibly do on your own yep. versus what you should outsource. I think some of that is ego, and I think uh, as as professionals, we try to do more than we should. I think across the board, but yeah. it, it's it, it's difficult to say or to your boss or even to yourself, I should not try to do this. Yep. Yeah. No. I I think it's. There are certain things that are really hard for you to outsource, which 
AppSec difficult because you're the ones building the code and the logic. Um, things like network security, nominated to all, all those type of tools or things that exist in the market. Um, those are a lot easier to outsource because those aren't, there's only so many ways to set up a network. It's not really, I mean, you can set up different like site ranges or different firewall rules, et cetera. But I mean, applications are extremely complex um, compared to, to, to that side of the security program. Cause it's, it's how, how do you tell if someone wrote some code that was bad that has a security flaw that you can't even realize looking at it at your first glance. You have to do some testing, reviewing, et cetera. Um, which also we, we've looked at like HackerOne and other things for bug bounty programs, which is a whole other subject I could get into. But um, the, the, the whole AppSec side we really kept in-house, but the majority of the security portion we really relied on Google um, and a couple tools we've built, but for the most part, like on Google and other other vendors. So, so let, let me let me take you down the AppSec path because that's that's another interesting <laughs> one because yeah. um, developers, uh, you know, especially in what you guys do, these are not natively the types of folks that will think I'm gonna, I need to write my code securely. It needs to be scalable. It needs to yep. be functional. Yep. Is it need to be secure? Yeah, I'm sure if they think it should be, but you know. Do they have all the tools and knowledge? How do you guys tackle AppSec? Because you do a ton of um, you do a ton of containerized work, so yep. there's actual application c code. But I'm sure you guys do a bunch of this like functional code as well. So it's in the, there's no VM to go with it, right? Yeah. So that was probably like again we we're talking about when I first started. That was one of the first things I implemented. Um, it, it, it's it, it's the smallest things. Just taking a security focus or a security mindset and just instilling that in your team um, can really help. And to the point where I, I again I was I was not kidding. I missed the security meeting because I had something else going on. And my lead engineer base I wouldn't say chewed me out. You can't miss that. And that's the mindset that we have now. That meeting is known. That's our most important meeting every week. Um, and that, yeah, and that uh, security code review. That's it's everyone's used to the pull request. Like, oh, the code doesn't look great. It doesn't work. Whatever. Can we change this? You do that. That's fine. And then the next step in our process is a security conscious code review. So you can think about that when you're doing the code review itself. But looking at the code and saying, hey, how does this impact our security posture? How does this impact permissions? Um, how does this impact uh, and insert other things? Does this Open us up to cross scripting something, whatever, um, which could be looking at just the OWASP <coughs> top ten, but it's more of just again that security mindset. And once you have the security mindset, the engineers, developers start to just do this natively. Um, which I, I again I've seen the flip side of that, where it's very much the development team is more of a, a product team, which makes sense from a business perspective, um, or just product focused. Um, so I mean they're move fast, break things, and break things could mean security, <laughs> so. Um, That's one thing you can't really break, huh? Yeah, so you can, and then no one notices it, and then it's too late, so. <laughs> I, I, I've seen this repeatedly, um, but I, I think, in my opinion, from an AppSec perspective, if you get that mindset in place, open it up, say, hey, if you can find tools to help us, if you can find innovative ways to improve our security, to the point of again, where my team is bringing like sneak, I did not go find that. They did. They they wanted to add that in. Um, they they we built in uh, again. If you're familiar with the Node ecosystem, they added in a, a, a tool called npm audit, which means you can audit your packages and look for vulnerabilities. 
Um, I showed up to work one Monday and they had built over the weekend nightly jobs to run auditing on all of our code bases that basically will alert us if there's a vulnerability. So just instilling that security mindset in your team, they start to just take over that and want to automate it themselves. Because again, I always say programmers, developers are the laziest people in the world because they want to automate everything. <laughs> but it's, 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 it's good laziness, meaning they want to pull that crazy work in up front so they don't have to do work later. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you get them to do that, not only on the product side, but on the security side, um, that I, I can take credit, but it's really the, the team to a certain degree just pushing us forward where I'm kind of just like showing up to that security meeting. Like, oh, cool. This is a great tool. Who built this? Why do we have this? When do we install this? Awesome. Um, so just that, that, that has been really, really helpful from an AppSec side for us. That is pretty awesome. I mean, uh, what, what would you say was the, the single, uh, probably biggest, uh, most important thing you put in on the AppSec side? Was it, um, what was it uh, static code reviews? Do you guys do dynamic? Do you do runtime? Like how do you how do you get security into the into the cycle uh, with as minimal impact as as you can as you can have? Well, I think for me, like the the big thing I'm really uh, I'll say focused on is just third party attacks or uh, supply chain attacks. Okay. Um, obviously, I'm focused on because I'm a vendor. So I don't want to be the one that's attacked. Uh, it's really bad if the fraud company gets hacked. Yeah, that's a no bueno. <laughs> that'd be bad form on our part. But um, also on my part, it's like I, I I don't know what I don't know when I come to these vendors. And I guess that's more of just a security motto I kind of follow. But I, when it comes to these vendors, just trying to find ways to mitigate risk. Um, and if you again, if you worked in the Node ecosystem, you install a package from npm. You may be, oh, I installed this package, and you get shipped 10 other packages that are depending on 10 other packages that are depending on 10 other packages. You've now installed 500 packages. Um, so one of the first things we did is install the review process or create a review process for adding packages, and then also all those NPM audit, all those other things the team built out. Um, that's really helped me kind of sleep at night that if uh, if you look back like the, the uh, fiascos that have happened in the NPM world from a security perspective, that there's a very good chance we won't be impacted by those because we're very aware of that that, uh, that portion of our, our surface area as far as risk. Um, but again, from, from, our, from my aspect, from an AppSec, as far as the code portion, um, a lot of it is on the review side. Um, part of that is because I just haven't found any of the static analysis tools to be super useful, <laughs> to be frank. Um, I've tried them. They haven't really done a great job. Maybe that's just I haven't done enough research on it yet. Um, from a runtime perspective, of course, we have vulnerability scans, all of that, that running at any given time. Um, but a lot of it has just been, again, the, the, the actual review process itself, where we're constantly, every line of code is reviewed from a security perspective. Um, now, again, it might seem tedious, but again, once you add that to your workflow, it's just like you did your pull request, security review, on the next thing. And we've actually found a lot of vulnerabilities that way that we would not have found um, using a stack analysis tool or something, just because it was logic based, it had nothing to do with oh, this is a SQL injection injection attack or something. It was oh, if this, you piece together these two endpoints, how they interact, it provides a way for someone to exploit said vulnerability. Mm. So it, it's it's that's why again, I, I think it's really really hard to take away that human aspect from AppSec. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also why we've also heavily invested in that portion. Well, that, that makes a ton of sense. All right, so 
let's um, let's let's look at change a little bit of gears for like the last yeah. five minutes here. Let's talk compliance. Right. So how did you how did you make <laughs> you you talked a lot about security. Get get me to your state of compliance and how did you manage that because. Uh, I know companies that have entire teams dedicated to getting a, a compliance posture reached. Now, how, how the hell did you get that so quickly, and what did you do? <laughs> yeah, you said the fun thing for last. Um, no, we uh, made the decision to switch from the ISO to a SOC 2. I think it was about three months later we had our cert. Um, part of that's because we have a small team, so it was really easy for me to go tell people, hey, this is changing today. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize, but this is the new process. Um, Part of it was this, like, I found a tool called uh, Comply from StrongDM. It provides you with a, a kind of pre-built compliance program that you can go in and tweak and do different things. Um, and again, I was lucky because like, we had been working on that, that ISO certification. So we did have a lot of the core compliance pieces in place already. Um, but with the Comply tool, I was able to automate all of our uh, procedures, different processes. So like reviewing security logs, uh, reviewing access logs, um, reviewing our offboarding, onboarding process, or just even the offboarding, off onboarding process itself. All those different little things that are seem hard to manage. Um, I was able to automate with uh, just a simple cron where those tickets are created on an interval. So we do access log checks, uh, I think it's like weekly or something. It just creates a ticket, and then I have, again, that security time that I set up every uh, week. Um, I usually just go through the compliance tickets then. Um, okay. Yeah, as far as like building up the documentation itself, um, that's probably of that two months where I spent about a month and a half of time, which is just building up the documentation, meeting with people, interviewing, looking at our current uh, posture, changing things. Um, but I, I definitely don't think anyone should start from scratch. Um, this has been done many, many times before by people a lot smarter and better at this than me. Um, so I would definitely do your research. Um, there's a bunch of open source tools out there to use. Because um, again, like I think when we first talked about this, it was uh, security on a budget or compliance on a budget. When I was asking, what's our budget for this SOC 2? The, the question was, oh, how, how much does the SOC 2 cert cost? I'm like, uh, X dollars. Like, okay, that's your budget. Like, okay, I can't go pay for Logic Gate or something else to help the compliance side, so um, we had to build that ourselves. But again, that again is out of all the things to build internally, the compliance piece was the the least scary for me because again, it's not uh, it influences security your security, obviously. Um, but if the cron broke for the procedure for a week, I can go create tickets myself. That's fine. I don't want our scanning to break for a week. Yeah, no kidding, right? Uh, yeah, so it, it again, it's just we, we were able to build a little homegrown solution, and part of that was again, we just did not start from scratch. So I, I got lucky there. Um, the thing too is, uh, people can kind of go down, we'll call it the compliance rabbit hole, where they they get going in it, and then they just get really focused, and they start adding policies for the sake of adding policies, <laughs> um, and that just is not useful from any concept. I mean. Again, that's why I like a SOC 2 to a certain degree is it's very flexible. It's very much what is your program, how do you want to build this, and then we have some different checkboxes and, and criteria you have to meet, but they're flexible in how you actually meet meet those criteria. It's not saying, oh, you have to have a policy for this. It's more, oh, we recommend having a policy, or if you have some kind of automated configuration thing that works, that meets the criteria, you're fine. Um, so I think that's also if you're an American company, I'd recommend a SOC 2 versus ISO or something else. It's a lot more um, 
applicable than a bunch of papers that you're going to do with the ISO. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, just don't do it yourself. <laughs> um, don't go down that rabbit hole. Don't do it yourself, so use something that exists. Don't go down that rabbit hole just adding policies for policy's sake. Um, you're, 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 just in general, your, your compliance program should be a benefit to the company, not a hindrance to doing business. Would you, uh, um, would you say, and then just to interrupt you for a second, would you say okay. that getting your security done and uh, in a manageable place first yep. helped you get through your SOC too and get you, get you on a compliance path faster? Yeah, no, I, I mean, definitely. I, I also say like the SOC 2, actually, there were some things that maybe we hadn't thought about or just like, like we had, we, we'd done some DR um, and availability uh, incident training, but it was very minimal. Um, the compliance program, we actually brought in the uh, crew that did the assessment. That's one of the things they recommended, and I've actually found that really useful, where just having that table talk and walk through like what happens if there's some kind of like uh, availability incident disaster. Also, doing it from a security perspective, um, which we actually started running through um, security incidents. How do we respond to this? How do we communicate to our clients? Do we pull in legal? All these different things that people don't think about, that when we actually do have a security alert or something, luckily we've not had an incident. So. To, to date as well, knock on wood. But um, just we get a security alert, something that comes in, we have a playbook we can go through that helps us build that out. Um, but like as far as like already having that in place, hell yeah, that helps a lot. <laughs> if you have zero security in place or very minimal security, it's going to be hard for you to be certified on any security-focused cert. But um, yeah, I think I, I definitely would recommend if you're going to do a, a SOC 2 as an example here, get your security... As, as well as good as you can get it before you actually bring them in. I also recommend doing an assessment before you ever bring in auditors. Um, so you can do an assessment with someone, they can come in and basically poke holes immediately. Because I, 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 I came out talking, it was like four or five companies that thought, nah, we're fine, we have a great program, whatever. They brought in the auditors and they failed. Uh, um, but they brought in the assessment, they could have plugged those five or six holes they had missed, um, which you're going to miss something. You're just, you're, it's just, Human nature. There's gonna be something that you did not realize unless you again hire a full-time compliance officer that's done this 20 times. You're probably gonna miss something. And since I was the head of technology, security, IT, and compliance, um, it, it made a lot of sense to bring someone on, on site to do an assessment. Did, so. did you at some point decide to you know, change your uh, badge to Jack because you were the jack of all <laughs> the trades? <laughs> no, that's actually one thing. So uh, I didn't mention this. We were acquired by ShopRunner here early this year, and I've been working with their head of cloud security to start to integrate our security program into theirs. Um, they're on PCI side, do not have a SOC 2. They might at some point here, we have a SOC 2, so there's some like walls that have to exist. But uh, actually having people in the company that are security focused has been a uh, like purely security focused. Our team is very security conscious, but security engineers, security, uh, head of security. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really useful and helpful to say, hey, we have, can you look at this with me? I'm not just like in a bubble by myself. But um, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to go from the jack of all trades to maybe I focus more on the technology side, start to offload to them. But uh, at the same time, there are also three or four engineers for a company of a couple hundred. So. <laughs> It's it's they're they're also understaffed, so it's kind of jumping with them possibly didn't even help from my end. So I think I think every security team can be said to be understaffed. Yeah, at some I, point, right? That's, saying that's probably like 
rhetorical statement. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> All right, well, Zach, this has been fun. Uh, I can't believe uh, 35 minutes has kind of blown by here. Uh, oh, yeah. Any, anything in, anything, uh, last kind of last word of wisdom, uh, what, what are you tackling next? Uh, well, again, that integration piece, but I guess just word of wisdom to small businesses. Number one, think about security. I don't know how many calls or interviews or coffees I've had where I'm talking to a CEO or CTO even where security is seen as a hindrance to doing business. Um, it's like 80% of small businesses have been hacked or breached to some degree. Um, there is a cost to that. Even if you're not paying it right now, you'll pay it later. So don't wait. Um, also, the security folks, just focus on your core competency. If there's something you can't handle, bring in a vendor. It, do, do not try to do everything yourself. You're going to put yourself in a bad position. That's fair. That's fair. Is just third-party risks, supply chain attacks. Those are just... I, People are locking down their systems now. That, that People are locking down everything. It's more, hey, can I attack this little startup and then have a marketing person install a chat widget and then next thing I know I've scraped X number of credentials from British Airways or whatever. So I, I like pay attention to your vendors. Pay, pay attention to who you're installing um, and try to find ways to mitigate that risk that is completely outside of your control for the most part. Awesome. But, well, thanks. Yeah. All right, Zach, it's been fun having you aboard. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, folks, thanks for listening. This has been another Down the Secure Rabbit Hole podcast, and we've been talking with uh, Zach Rosenbauer, who's uh, the, the jack of all trades, but clearly uh, security <laughs> conscious and, and yeah. pretty pretty compliance conscious guy. So we, we appreciate you having on, being on the show and having you on and sharing your info. So Cool. Yeah, thank you. All right, guys, thanks for listening. We will catch you another time, another place on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. We'll see you later. Ciao. As we fade out on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole episode, we'd like to encourage you to chat with our hosts and guests using the Twitter hashtag PoundDTSR. Please check out the show notes, catch up on any episodes you may have missed, and subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Our website is whiterabbit.net, W-H-1-T-3-R-A-B-B-I-T.net. So on behalf of Rafal, James, for now it's goodbye. We'll see you soon on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. <laughs>